Welcome to the Tech Done Right podcast, TableXI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. Each episode of Tech Done Right focuses on people in tech talking about interesting problems. Today, we're talking about remote work. On our panel today, we have Allison McMillan. Allison's a software developer at Collective Idea, living in the Washington, D.C. area. Before becoming a developer, she was the managing director at a national nonprofit, a startup founder, and a community builder at the University of Michigan. Allison started programming at a Rails Girls workshop and is now a chapter organizer. She speaks on a variety of topics, including mentorship, working remotely, and being a parent and a developer. Say hi, Allison. Hello. We also have Bradley Schaefer. Bradley's a senior developer at TableXI who works remotely from the Cleveland, Ohio area. Despite his involvement with the Ruby community, Bradley wants you to know that he is a dog person and not a cat person, so you can send your letters to Bradley. That's right. Bradley's also a member of the RSpec core team and also speaks uh, at community events and at conferences on development topics. So I have both of you talking because both of you work remotely and Allison, you just did a presentation at RubyConf in November about uh, working remote and supporting, specifically supporting junior developers remotely. So maybe I could each of you just say how you started to come to work remote and how often you work remote now or what kind of setups you use. You want to start, Allison? Sure. Let's see. So I've been working remotely for uh, six or seven years now. So I actually started when I was the managing director of the nonprofit. We quadrupled our staff size, and part of that was becoming a partially remote team. So I was actually responsible for that transition. And part of I was in office, but part of being responsible for that transition meant that I really encouraged myself and uh, other folks on the team to work from home um, so that everybody could sort of understand what that experience was like. and then when I left that job, I worked on a startup. I launched a startup. So I was you know, working from home while doing that. And then when I became a developer, I just continued working from home because I loved it. And I sort of had my setup and everything. I just loved it. Bradley? Sure. I dabbled a little bit in remote work when I co-founded a company called Anything Social with two other developers, and we consulted for other businesses. And most of the time, those businesses were not co-located with us. But the other two times I've uh, worked remote were predicated basically on big geographical moves. So I was living in the Bay Area and decided I wanted to move to the Midwest. And I was fortunately able to do that with the job that I had at eBay. I think they have a fairly significant remote work base. And that worked out for a while. And then I moved on to TableXI and worked out of the Chicago office there for a while and found out that I was having twins with my wife. And that kind of uh, put me into a panic mode because I don't know how to deal with uh, the sudden appearance of, of two children. So I wanted to be closer to family. So that started another geographical move from Chicago to Cleveland. And I was able to uh, stay on at TableXI, where I'd been working in the Chicago office, but now I work remotely. Riley, do you you work in a co-locating space, though, some of the time, right? I would say probably 80% of the time I do work out of a co-working space here in Cleveland. It's called Start Mart. It's great. I don't work out of a co-working space. I've toyed with the idea here and there, but I co-work at least once a week, usually twice a week. So one of the co-working places that I go to is just like a group of people in the area that work from home. And the other one is a group of developers that are just in sort of the metro DC area. We usually co-work like the day that meetups happen. So there's, I think, at least one Ruby meetup every week in the area just based on different subgroups. And so often groups of folks will meet up that day and just, you know, co-work together from a coffee shop during the day and then go to the meetup that evening. So that's why I've sort of decided not to join a co-working space. 
Table XI, we have a, so we have a, a small number of remote workers, most of whom started in the Chicago office and moved for fa- various family reasons. But we also do tend to have people come in and co-work in our space and uh, have had people do it for a very, very long amount of time, actually, and uh, eventually get hired by us. So there's a lot of different things I want to talk about here, and I'm not sure which one of them to do first. Let's start with what makes somebody successful? Like, are there things that you need to do as a remote worker to be successful and let's start on the worker side and then move to the company side. So the things you need to do as a remote worker to be successful that are different from what you need to do if you're on site with your team to be successful. Yeah, I'm definitely. So I would say probably the two biggest things for me are having a schedule. And, you know, so I like wake up that and this was even be, even before I had a child. I, you know, like wake up at the same time every day, like have my morning routine, have, you know, make sure that I organize myself. Like I have my office space. That is my space. And when I'm there, I'm working. And, you know, that was something that like my husband and I very early on had to work out because when I started working from home, um, I also became the person that would handle, you know, things that needed to get fixed or deliveries or whatever. And so we sort of had to work through like, just because I'm home doesn't mean I'm available. And, you know, I have my space, have my setup. Uh, So that one is very important. It's also really important for being able to stop at the end of the day and say like, okay, now I'm leaving my space. I'm leaving, you know, I'm not going to continue working on the couch downstairs or wherever. I'm leaving my office space and therefore like my job is done for the day. And the second one that I think is really big is communication. Uh, You know, you really need to sort of over communicate and you know especially as a non-senior person I think also as a senior developer but as a non-senior developer you really have to communicate like when you're stuck when you need help when you have a question if you're confused about a ticket or a story that you're supposed to pick up like you really have to communicate all of those things cuz nobody can see you to see when you're stuck when you're frustrated when you're happy when you're sad any any of that you have to make sure to communicate all of that to them I would definitely agree on both of those points. I think having a routine has been huge for me. I've I've worked out of my home a lot as well as uh, working at a co-working space. And I've also kind of run into the similar issues of having boundaries uh, that are very clear about when I'm at work and uh, and when I'm not. So if those get blurry, you can kind of find yourself either overworking or underworking depending on the amount of distractions. So I think getting into the right mindset of a routine is important. So I work from home like maybe once or twice a week. Uh, and the amazing thing about it for me is, and this is something that is really only possible because I don't do it every day, but I feel like I have so much extra time because I'm not commuting for an hour that I start way earlier and generally tend to finish my day pretty early uh, when I work from home. But I think that's a little bit of a function of, I don't know that that's the schedule I would be on if I was working from home all the time, but it, it sometimes it feels like a real treat to like actually wake up and start working and not wake up and get on a train for an hour. We have this idea that junior developers are harder to work remotely, but it's harder on both sides. It is harder on the junior and that it's harder on the team. Like, what do you feel like you gain in that respect from working remotely? What do you feel like is a challenge for you when you work remotely? 
I mean, so what I gain, right, it's it's sort of the typical, like anyone who works remotely, I think just really values like the flexibility and, you know, the freedom to like, you know, I joke about offices that say like, we have such good snacks at the office. And I'm like, yeah, but I have such good snacks in my kitchen. Like, <laughs> so those are the benefits. And, you know, I have a small child. Uh, I have a kid who's, who's almost two and I was pumping for the first until he turned a year. And so being able to like take breaks and pump breast milk without having to like make sure the company has a space and make sure there's a door that locks and make sure you know there's space in the fridge and all of those other things that was like so so much easier for me as a working mom who was able to work from home I think we underrate remote work as a mechanism for making the office more accessible to all kinds of different people like new parents obviously geographic distance but I think that that it really does extend the reach of the number of people that you can work with in a lot of different ways that are not quite what we immediately assume. Yeah. In terms of what you miss, there's definitely a a social aspect that you miss. And I don't just mean social as in like chit-chatting with someone at the, you know, at the water cooler per se. I mean, overhearing conversations about technical implementation, overhearing different people solving different bugs or different technical problems and being able to say like, oh, that's a new word for me. What does that mean? Or what does that do? And when I switched jobs in tech or looked at new jobs, I, I have always thought about like, okay, what is, do I want to go into an office? What would those sort of pros and cons be? But I've found that as long as you fill that gap somehow, that it's okay. So for example, I mentioned that I co-work. By co-working with a group of Rubyists once a week, I still overhear that sort of stuff. I still get exposed to problems other than the specific problem that I'm working on. Like I still have those sort of random conversations about what's going on in tech. I think that coupled with like being a part of, you know, having an active company Slack team and being a part of a couple of other Slack teams uh, sort of fills that gap. But that's definitely a downside to working remotely. And you, I think as you're learning and when you're still sort of like a sponge soaking up all of the knowledge about all of these different parts of tech and definitions and words and methodologies and whatnot, you really have to fill that in order to not miss out on that exposure to lots of different things. So Bradley, I mean, you transitioned directly from the, I mean, in, in the same job from being on site to being remote. So you have like a direct before and after experience. Like, what is that like? Is I guess, especially the ways in which like being a you know, five hour drive away is different from just like working at home occasionally. You know, I think the answer to that question is probably different uh, within different companies. So I'll speak to my experience, of course. If there's kind of a culture already in the company of people collaborating using kind of online tools and things of that nature, I think it's a lot less of a kind of shock to the system to go 100% remote. I think it's a lot harder if you don't have a company culture that kind of buys into collaborating in that way, which is why I kind of feel like one of the worst situations to be in is if you have a whole geographically co-located team and you're like the one odd man out. I think that can be the worst situation to be in as a remote worker because you're just not really thought of as a part of the team as much as you would be if there was other remote people. Yeah, sort of having like a big TV screen that just has your picture on it the whole time and, and nobody really wants that. Like that's creepy. Sure. And I think you can fight against that in in various ways. I know some people have fought against that by just saying, like, we have a whole team with one remote person. You know what? Everybody work at home and we're just going to be an all remote team for the duration. 
and that that's easier, potentially easier than dealing with everybody on site, but one or two remote. Well, Allison, do you work in teams where you're the only remote person or are you in a... I have before. Yeah. So the companies that I've been at, there's always sort of, you know, been a little bit of team shuffling. And I have been the only person that has worked remote on a team, even if sort of the entire engineering team, there are, you know, a good number of folks that that work remotely. And yeah, it can be really challenging. Like, I think that a lot of places, you know, with an office and folks that are co-located don't always realize how many sort of informal decisions get made without saying like, you know, they're actually, they're often really good at saying, okay, we're going to make a decision about this. We're going to have a meeting and therefore we need to make sure that there's a video conferencing link and that person is involved, et cetera, et cetera. But the conversations where it's like, oh, did you check out, you know, like X's style guide? Oh, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think we should adopt that. Those sorts of conversations often just happen, you know, sitting next to each other or when you see a tab open on someone's screen and that sort of stuff doesn't, you know, and then I've had this where, you know, then at stand up, somebody will say like, oh, and we're looking at like, you know, this company style guide and thinking about adopting it. And I'm like, wait, 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 when did that happen? Uh, And they don't realize that like the chatter just sort of like informally happened in person and it never got translated into Slack into, you know, a format that I can sort of be a part of. So I think it's easy at the end of the day to be like, you know, when we weren't on Slack, we just chit-chatted. But when you get down to it, like there are actual decisions that are made that can be challenging. I think that that gets worse, particularly when you have a company like TableXI, I think it's fair to say prides itself on its culture, whatever exactly what that means, we don't necessarily need to dig into, but it certainly prides itself on being a group of people who enjoy working together. And I think that that makes it in some ways harder to be the one person remote because like it means we have even more informal talking over lunch or who knows what. What can we do on the company side? I'm going to say we, even though I'm also at home right now. This is a designated like representative of people in offices, I suppose. Like what, what is effective in that respect? I think some amount of actually, you know, flying the team together to be co-located briefly from time to time. Just so we remember what you look like. Yeah, exactly. So you can see how long my hair has grown or, or whatnot. Yeah, or, or, or remember how tall you are, which is the piece I've I was going to say, the, like how tall or short someone is is usually like the biggest. When you see people in person for the first time, you're always like, wow, you're that tall. Or like, oh, you're sort of short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that doing that periodically can actually kind of keep teams cohesive, even when they're not like located in the same spot all the time. Allison, have you ever been on a team that's like explicitly set up just hangout video conference time? Like I've heard of this as something that some teams have done, like they end the week and it's a remote team, but they end the week in a half hour video chat that's not team related. It's just an attempt to try and get a hangout. Yeah. So I have not at the end of the week, but yeah, we used to have one like every week for a half hour where it was exactly what you said, just sort of everybody who's remote hanging out in the hangout. I think it works when it's like focused and a part of the like team culture to sort of hop in and do it. I think it doesn't work when everyone's like, oh, but I really have to like get this PR pushed up or get this code finished or, and what I found is it sort of ebbed and flowed. Like there were some weeks where we would all really encourage each other to all jump on the hangout and it'd be, you know, a lot of fun and, and really fantastic. And there were other times where it was just sort of like one person would be sitting there and be like, well, I guess nobody else is joining 
today. I think that it does sort of have to be made a priority in the team culture in order for that sort of thing to be effective. But I totally agree with like flying people in face to face. I think periodic face to face gatherings like really make a huge difference. I also am a big believer in retrospectives to surface that stuff, right? So when you're doing a retrospective on a sprint or on the last couple of weeks of work or whatever, to not just think about just the stories and the code and the PRs, but also about team dynamic and how did we communicate with one another? And, uh, you know, was there a time that was missed? Like, Right now, the team that I'm on, we're working with a client who is also local. And so oftentimes, I am the only person on the meeting who's remote. And I talk to my team about just making sure that there's space for me, right? Because sometimes when you're the only person who's remote, it's sort of awkward to jump into conversation or to, you know, you sort of feel like you're just like the person shouting from the screen while everybody is like chatting in the office. Yeah, it's hard to get a visual cue of like the flow of conversation when you're the one remote person, especially if you're not video, yeah. no video chat. Yeah. And so just making sure that, you know, like before we move on to another section from say, hey, Allison, like just wanted to make sure, you know, did you have anything to add or, you know, and we talked about that in a retrospective and it's happened in, you know, every meeting since and it's been fantastic. So again, like communication, making sure that you're surfacing things also is really important. One thing that TableXI does that I really like is the know your company, like weekly questions that we get in our email. Are you familiar with this, Allison? No, what is it? So know your company, it actually used to be uh, Basecamp, but they spun it off. It's uh, a service that uh, you, it's designed for relatively smallish companies and it, you seed it with questions and it automatically sends everybody on your team uh, the question. I think you can set it on whatever schedule you want. So we do like one tech related one and one social related one a week. Um, and then it gathers everybody's answers and it shows everybody, everybody else's answers. And it also stores them. So it's, it's useful as a management tool because you can go back and see people's answers, but it's also pretty useful as like a, one of the, we just did like, do you have any new year's resolutions? So then you see like everybody on the team, you know, and that is kind of a, to a very limited extent, a substitute for the kind of like random meeting or, you know, hanging out and just talking about, you know, what movie you saw or something like that. Yeah. It's a good conversation starter for when you're <laughs> yeah. removed from uh, other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's mostly useful. We sometimes struggle to decide whether it's actually useful or not, but I think on the main, you know, it's interesting though, because I don't really think of it. And I think that when they think about its value, uh, they don't really think of it as a social input for the remote team as well. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. I don't think that that's something that the table XI management thinks of when they think of, a, of that tool. Oh, we'll pass that along. One thing about face-to-face is we we, def- we have a person, uh, one of our remote team, actually at various times, different members of our remote team have had the habit of bringing in uh, special food when they come in. Uh, so uh, we have you know somebody who makes a point of bringing in popcorn to the office uh, when she's in town. We used to have somebody who worked in Austin and he would come in, he would drive in with you know, huge um, uh, things of brisket that would become lunch. And those seem, those are one of the things about that is it makes having the remote person coming in like special or it gives you a, like a, just a hook for like, Oh, there's popcorn in the break room. You know, Alicia's in town. It's just a nice, like a way to market, like a, a little bit of a ritual to, to have a little bit of that, to be a part of the office culture. I agree. I guess I'm on the hook for uh, bringing some pierogies from Cleveland next time. Yeah, you you <laughs> got to find whatever it is they do. They do well in Cleveland and bring that. I'll just bring LeBron James then. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> just fit him in the overhead compartment. It'll be great. Well, but that's so just to mention something like that's an interesting point because I know one thing that a lot of partially remote teams struggle with is like what to do like when the company has lunch 
Yeah, we struggle with that too. Right, or like when there's a celebration. I think this is like one of the more tricky things to figure out when you have a partially remote team. Like when you're celebrating the launch of something or like how do you make sure that the folks that are remote also get some sort of benefit, some sort of fun. You know, you see it sometimes with like welcome packages, right? Where welcome packages are sort of very focused on the in-office experience. And, you know, you get something as a remote person and you're like, oh, this is sort of useless for me as like a remote person on the team. I think that that's like one of the trickiest parts. Like I would love to hear what various companies do, but I think that's one of the trickier parts. Like how do you translate those sorts of benefits and how do you celebrate together, making it feel like a celebration for the remote person who's there on their computer with their headphones? Yeah. I mean, you know, a table XI as a consulting shop doesn't often have like team-wide shipping celebrations. So most of our celebrations are just like annual all hands and we do fly people in for that kind of thing. But we also like, if you look at our webpage, like lunch is a big perk. It's a big part of the company culture and it's not something that we can like email you. (laughs) So Bradley and the other remote people like that's, we don't really have a good substitute for that. Yeah. So there, there does wind up being this kind of tension between having a, a, you know, the office culture and the remote culture. I see it as a trade-off. I mean, I would love to have a uh, private chef cook me lunch every week, but uh, in lieu of that, I get to work remotely, and so like I get a lot of other benefits from that uh, arrangement. So I, I try to see it as a trade-off, even though at times it can be hard when the chef makes really good food. <laughs> yeah, what about when we post pictures and say, like... <laughs> yeah, I just try and stay out of it. <laughs> so... How do you deal with the idea of, I guess another way of presence is like, and we have all of these tools that deal with communication and, and instant message and texting and Slack and all of these things that even though you're remote can give you the same kind of like instant, like I can scream at Bradley through four or five different channels and get an immediate response. just like I did when he, when I sat in the same row with him, like, is that stuff helpful? Does it kind of diminish the benefit of being remote if everybody can like contact with you or is that part of what makes it possible. I think it's part of what makes it possible, but there has like, this is where trust. So a lot of companies that are sort of unsure about going remote or have just started, like I find that a lot of those companies talk a lot about trust. And this is where that comes into play because if I'm heads down on something, like I'm heads down on it. And so you could shout at me in five different channels, but I might not have any of those channels open. And, you know, if that's the case, then I don't want you thinking, is this person, like, is is Allison even working? Is she at her computer? What's going on? You know, my hope is that your assumption is, oh, I'm shouting at her in five different channels. She's not responding. She must be, like, really focused and heads down on something. Is that one of the things that makes it harder for junior, for people, teams to be comfortable supporting junior workers is that you don't necessarily have that level? Yeah. Trust, like almost everybody who has gone remote from Table XI worked in the Table XI office before they went remote, which is a way of building up trust that you wouldn't necessarily have if you came onto a team as a remote person. So how do you build that trust as the remote person? I think that it comes directly from the company. Like I think that the company really has to have a precedent that like they trust remote folks. And if you're making a hire and you're not sure if you trust them to work remotely, then like you shouldn't be making that hire. There are, so this is actually what like a majority of my RubyConf 
talk was about was for people that are looking to hire junior or mid-level remote developers, like what are the questions that you need to ask them? And a lot of them aren't specifically around tech, but a lot of them are sort of behavioral-based interview questions that ask them about situations they've been in in the past and how they've dealt with those situations related to communication, related to working remotely, related to, you know, and you're sort of looking for cues that show you, okay, yes, I can trust this person. This person is thoughtful about what it means to work remotely. This person is thoughtful about difficult situations and how to communicate working remotely. This person is thoughtful about expressing a need for help and coming up with solutions, things like that. And so I think that if you have a good interview process, then it hopefully builds that trust. But I think that has to come from the company and the person doing the hiring. And if you don't trust them when you hire them, it's going to be real difficult to overcome that issue. I also think to a large degree, you have to judge remote workers, especially, but all workers really based off of the actual work that they produce. And if there's something kind of off with that, I think that's an indicator that, you know, conversation should be had. And, and that's kind of the end of it. Like, it doesn't matter if, you know, somebody checks their Facebook, if they're getting their work done, for example. So I, I don't think kind of like micromanaging people's time is, I guess, an effective management strategy, particularly for remote workers. But Especially for, te- I mean, yeah, kinds of technical and creative work, like that kind of micromanaging is, is counterproductive often. Allison, was it beneficial that you had a record of working remotely in other fields before you came into tech and said, I want to be a junior remote developer? Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think not only for the company, but also for myself. Like, I actually don't know if I would have been successful sort of in an industry that can, I mean, working remotely as a developer can be sort of lonely and isolating. Like, you really are heads down foot. You know, there are some days that I'm just like, that I don't talk to anyone for like, you know, a solid five or six hours because I'm really focused on what I'm trying to get done. And you can look up and be like, oh, I, I like haven't talked to anyone all day, uh, especially if you don't like, if you don't have a spat, like if you don't live with anyone, like it was also beneficial for me because I knew coming in, I knew my personality, you know, as a remote worker, as somebody who worked from home, I knew that I had to co-work once or twice a week for that social aspect. You know, I knew a lot about myself working remotely. And so I was able to communicate that to companies that I interviewed with, which made them, I think, also more comfortable because they're like, okay, this isn't somebody who's like just trying it out. She's actually thought through pros and cons and resources and setup, et cetera. So what about if you're coming in and you're like a genuine boot camp, you know, this is your first job, your first couple of jobs. You don't really have a sense of how you work yet, but yet you want to be remote for whatever reason. You have a small child, you live in a remote area, you want to work for a company that you don't want to move. Like what kinds of things I see like your beginning job in tech is overwhelming anyway. Like what kinds of things can help somebody deal with that on top of not having people near you, uh, you know, the remote work aspect? I mean, I think that people do really need to know themselves well. I mean, a lot of folks that are coming out of boot camps are like a lot of them aren't new professionals. A lot of them have done work in different industries in, in the past. But if they are, let's say, a new professional, they don't really know how they work in sort of a professional setting and they're new to tech. I mean, I think it's just really important that you sit down with yourself and say, like, do I feel comfortable in person or like asking 
asking a question to, you know, in front of the room, right? If I was in a bootcamp class and I, um, you know, I'm just sort of making up a scenario, but like if I was in a class and I never felt comfortable raising my hand and asking a question, I don't think that working remotely would be super beneficial because I'd probably have that same fear throwing that question out just in like a Slack chat room. You know, like, can I be self-directed? What do I do on the days where I want to get, you know, and in boot camps, you do need to be self-directed or if you teach yourself, you know, you need to set goals and accomplish them and work through things, right? How does that work for you? Like, are you successful at that? Are you not so successful? If you're not so successful, then even if you think it's really cool and you really want to work from home, you really want to be a remote worker, it like might not be the best situation. And so that's, I think it's really easy to say like, of course I want to work remotely. It sounds awesome, but it's really important to think through all of those different aspects, including things like, do I have good internet? You know, because if you don't have access to good internet, then that's also going to be a really difficult challenge for both you and your company. So I think just being like really honest and realistic with yourself is important. Do I have good lighting at my desk so that when I'm on a video chat, people can see me and my desk isn't in front of a window so that I'm being backlit and washed out all the time? Like an anonymous informant? <laughs> yeah. like Actually, there are some rooms in our office that if people work remote from some of our conference rooms, if, if people dial in to a conference call from some of our rooms, they really do look like they're in the witness protection program. I think anybody, just kind of springboarding off that topic, like anybody starting with remote work, they should be try and be really self-aware about it, but I think they can also be really helped out by the company they work for if, for example, they have kind of more frequent check-ins, especially to start with, and they kind of encourage kind of good habits. And like the only word I can think of to describe it is hygiene, but like, you know, make sure that they're they're actually going outside and like experiencing other things and just like, like sitting at the computer all day because that will totally burn somebody out or get them into like a depressed place where they're not going to be happy. So I, I think if you're just starting out, it might not be as apparent to you how important it is to... It's, it's worth, I think, exploring why. Like, I think I want to work remote because I live an hour and a half from the city and I don't want to commute is different from I want to work remote so that I can watch TV at lunch. Like, you, know, you need to know yourself a little bit to know and know what you're trying to get out of it. That's a great point about like, so yeah, so sometimes your head's down and you like won't respond, but that doesn't mean that you should just sort of like as the company, you should sort of say like, okay, this person is remote. They'll reach out when they need to. There should definitely be, uh, you know, a system for check-ins in place. And maybe that is more frequent until, you know, everybody figures out each other's styles. But also not just like a, a manager or somebody checking in, but also peers. So I think all of the companies that I've worked at have had like a remote chat in Slack or in whatever, you know, whatever the chat platform is. And so that as a fellow remote worker, you can say like, hey, has everybody left their house this week? Uh, you know, I mean, I there is a couple of weeks ago, I actually had a week where I like didn't leave the house and I posted on Friday. I forget if it was Friday afternoon or Monday, but I posted like in the remote channel, hey guys, didn't leave my house this week. Not a good thing. Don't be me. Leave your house. And, you know, and it's important that we're checking in with each other and encouraging healthy habits in in each other as well. One thing that I think is really important is thinking about the team that the remote person is going on to. So we talked a little bit about, you know, if you're the only remote person on a team of people, you know, all people that are in the office. But more than that, in general, like, I think it's really important to cultivate kind, caring teams where there is a culture of like positive feedback and constructive code review. So, 
one of the most difficult things for me is when my code gets reviewed, figuring out, is this an opinion? Is this a fact like where, you know, sort of what the review is and what needs to be changed versus what I should be reading more about and thinking more about because I should be establishing what my opinion is on the subject matter. Um, And I think that if you work remotely and all of your code reviews, your PR reviews are always just sort of like picking apart your code and, you know, like lots of comments about lots of stuff that you've done wrong or incorrectly or whatever. And you're not in person to give any of that feedback, any context or say like, hey, I just like oftentimes in the office, you'll say, hey, I'm just reviewing your code. Do you want to sit here and I can go through some of the things that I'm taking notes on or writing? And it just gives it, it like makes it a little more nicer. When you don't have that in the office, you're just reading it. And there's no context or tone when you're just reading feedback. And so I think it's all also really important to make sure that you're sort of cultivating a mentality of positive, constructive code reviews and that there's, you know, a kind, caring team where you know that all of that stuff is coming from a good place and not just like, Bleh. Yeah. A left field suggestion with that is if you have your team that uses RuboCop or some kind of linter, Bradley's going to roll his eyes in a second. <laughs> if you use some kind of common linter, the advantage of that in a pull request is it gets rid of all of those like nitpicky things. That just like are like, yeah, you got that spacing wrong, you got that spacing wrong, you got that spacing wrong, you got that spacing wrong. And I would imagine that that would be even more irritating out of context from a remote person. So that's one little thing that you can do that will make those things a little bit more humane. It's better that I hate RuboCop than I hate my coworkers, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would say even on a personal level, though, something that I've found that I need to focus on is actually expressing positivity remotely like to my team and stuff because I I've found that maybe this is a personal problem of mine but when I'm frustrated with something I'm very quick to like you know be like oh what's going on here this sucks and like express that to my team members but like if things are going great and like I'm getting along with my work then I am very quiet actually and so I think that that can be interpreted as oh this remote person is always very cranky <laughs> but in reality it's something you have to focus on is it's letting people know when things are going good too yeah, it's sort of weird. I, I don't, you know, I have that sort of when I tell people about my job, the people that I tell, like, I tell the stuff that's annoying because that's the newsworthy stuff. So people come away with this oppression, like, wow, oh, you must really, this must really drive me crazy. <laughs> no, I really like it. It's the, because I really <laughs> like it that I notice these things. And that's why I come up and bring it to you. And that, if you're remote and you got to remember that people are only seeing the part of the iceberg that's above the water and not the stuff that's submerged. I like to try and close out with uh, resources or tips that people can like take away and really immediately start looking at or start applying to their teams. Do you guys have something that a resource or a tip or both that you might want to pass along? I have two tips and two resources. Great. great. My, I'll do tips first. So my first tip is that if you are uh, in a remote situation and you are having trouble finding people to pair with you or to help you get unstuck on stuff, schedule weekly pairing sessions with different folks on your team so that it's in the calendar and that the time is made and you can sort of save questions, issues, et cetera, and knock those out all in one time frame. My second tip is if you feel nervous about asking questions, and this could be either when you start a job or at any point when you're at the job, make it a goal for the week or for the month or whatever to every week ask X number of questions. Uh, And the important thing is that 
it doesn't really matter if you actually measure how many questions you're asking. But the important thing is that if you make it a goal, you're much more likely to do it in order to accomplish your goal. So those are my tips. My two suggestions, Zach Holman has a great blog post on remote first versus remote friendly that's often um, recommended and cited in, uh, you know, when discussing remote work. So it's a really good one to skim through or to read. My second resource is the She Nomads organization. It's also a Slack team. It's for underrepresented people or allies in tech, and it's just a great resource for I mean, for the Slack group, it's great for like travel tips and, you know, and working either remotely or nomadically and, you know, chatting with other folks. They also provide a bunch of resources through their website. Bradley, do you have any suggestions or resources? Sure. If you're trying to convince uh, a company that doing remote work is okay, I think the book Remote Office Not Required by 37 Signals is, is pretty good at that. It's a super easy read. I think I read it like in an hour. That might be an obvious pick because it's it's very on target for what we're talking about. But I thought it had some good stuff in there about describing that remote work can also kind of be like a spectrum. It's not like, oh, everybody's off in the boonies. Like it could be like, oh, maybe one day a week or two days a week people work remotely or even just for half a day. And I think that perspective is valuable that it's not really an all or nothing thing. And as far as tips... I think I would probably say if you're working on a team, you should try to find kind of pairing tools that work well for you. I like Screen Hero. I don't know what's going to happen with Screen Hero because Slack bought it, but it still works for now for me. But if you're kind of like a command line Vim jockey, then you might like a Teammate, which is a, a way to share a Teamux session really easily. What do you use, Allison? I use Screen Hero, although uh, the ability to use Teammate has sort of pushed me into the uh, learning Vim as a goal for this year for me so that, that, so that I can use that as another uh, remote pairing option. I've, I've been working on my Vim for the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks to Bradley and Allison for being on the panel today. The Tech Done Right podcast can be found at techdoneright.io or downloaded via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us uh, feedback or ideas on Twitter at, at techdoneright. That one has underscores. Or you can email us at techdoneright at tablexi.com, and that one is all one word because consistency. The Tech Done Right podcast is brought to you by TableXI, a UX design and software development company in Chicago. We are 35 meticulous and curious minds with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences. Let's work together. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of the Tech Done Right podcast. Thanks, Bradley and Allison, and I hope we'll see you guys around soon.